Welcome to Nightcap with D. Brown, where we have candid conversations over cocktails. Today, we'll be discussing behind the scenes after the last call. Joining me in the conversation, we have Mia Grace and Eddie Furman, two entrepreneurs from Boston's top night spots, Daryl's Corner Bar and Kitchen, and Savor Restaurant and Lounge. Before we begin, if you have any questions, put them in the description box, in the comment box, and we will um, answer them during the last segment. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So we'll start by having you introduce yourself, let people know who you are, and what. Um, how did you get into the hospitality industry? Yeah, we'll start with you. So I'm Nia Grace. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, born and raised Roxbury, Dorchester area. Grew up in the South End as well. Um, I, I, I think I, my passion has always been to entertain and, um, I like music. I like, uh, I like food. I like cocktails and mixing. And I didn't realize, I think how much my passion was going to like overtake me and like kind of dictate my life. I actually spent, uh, 12 years in nonprofit management. Um, one of the key things about me though, is I've been always about community. So community service, being of service community, um, but how did I make this transition to hospitality? I actually walked into Daryl's about eight years ago and I, you know, was kind of just hanging out with my girlfriend and I walked into it and I said, hey, well, if I ever owned a place, I want it to be just like this. Like it was like totally perfect for me. Um, it had the music, it had the comfort food, uh, the craft cocktails, the environment was very uh, intimate and you know, sexy. And so it, it was one of that passion that I think had been fueled uh, throughout different uh, phases through my life. And I was able to make it a ra reality about five years ago and coming to work here at Daryl. So um, I've always had experience in the industry. Uh, my first job was at a burrito place in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I used to work at the Spirit of Boston. So I've always like been in the industry, uh, but I was able to get back to it and really kind of like develop my passion uh, when I came to Daryl's a few years ago. Oh. Hey, Eddie, how did you get into this? Uh, obviously our path is definitely much different. Um, okay, so I'm, uh, my name's Eddie, Eddie Furman. I was um, born in Haiti, um, was raised here in the States, um, came here, I believe I was um, 12. Um, my path to um, the industry pretty much started, I, was, I used to be a promoter. I used to promote parties in Boston um, so funny to say, like, um, back then, a few friends of mine, we, we used to do parties over at the, um, at the Hong Kong on, in Central Square. And, um, those days, like, you know, pretty much that was the only place you could go to hear hip hop. So <laughs> those were the days where, like, rap music was pretty much, like, you know, not fashionable at all, or if accepted, if anything, you know, it was never accepted anywhere in Boston. So we had to go all the way down to the Cambridge, like obviously to, um, to promote. So mm -hmm. that started that way. And, um, following that, I was doing parties continuously. And then, um, funny, um, true stories that during one of my parties, um, the owner of the place I previously, I was previously a partner at, um, the Blue Wave restaurant. So he was at the, go back. Oh, you remember the Blue Wave? Yeah. <laughs> Who don't remember the Blue Wave? Smile. <laughs> 
She's like, hmm, yes, I remember. <laughs> so yeah, Blue Wave. So he came to one of our parties and he um, more or less was like impressed. He was like, a party, I think we did the party, it was like on a Wednesday. It was at this place called Caprice and he came in and then he said, oh, you know, I'm opening up a restaurant. So um, I don't know anything about the nightlife. Can you like do parties like this at my place? I was like, okay, sure, no problem. <laughs> and then, you know, went to see him about a few months later. So I was doing parties and parties and parties after that. Then it got to the point where I'm like, you know, like the light came on, like, hmm, I'm making this guy a lot of money here. Uh -huh. So, you know, it's, it's about time. How can we talk, you know, business-wise? And um, we came up to a point where he said, well, okay, so yeah, I could sell you a part of the business, but you're just solely going to focus on the entertainment aspect. I was like, okay, fine. So um, that's how I got into the whole um, industry in terms of like being an entrepreneur, being an owner. And uh, but the Blue Wave, if you remember, uh, it was I mean monumental, like in Boston history. So people are still talking about it now because it was again the only place you can go to, and you will see people like us, you know, and party, mm -hmm. and not be a minority. So that's always been my mentality, just like to have a place where we could call our own, like we can go. And like look around, like oh, geez, okay, I'm good. Like you know, somewhat like Cheers, somewhere you could go where everybody knows your name. Yes, that's what I wanted to have. Yeah. You know, a place where you know people, everybody knows you. People from the same, you know, whether same um, profession as you, same neighborhood, but you know, we can all collaborate, like and meet and 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 uh, um, and be one. So that was more of my passion as to what I wanted to create, um, even with Saver, just to have a place where we can be one and we could we could see ourselves as, as in a different light, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to going somewhere and say, wow, okay, I could count on one hand how many of us are there. So then, you know, you're doing like the head nod from afar. Hey, I see you. See me? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, no, so that's what I wanted with Saber. Like somewhere where it's like, it's us, you know, have a presence in town and then just be comfortable with anything, with the music, the food, everything. So that was um, more or less the, what I wanted to, um, to do. Okay. Okay. Now, in both of your establishments, you cultivate fun in a relaxed environment. How do you keep staff from stepping too far over the line, like dating coworkers or patrons or drinking too much on the job? And have either of you crossed any of those lines? Oh, oh God. Oh. You have to answer that question? Sure? Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. For me, I, I guess even even when as soon as someone starts working there, I mean, the number one rule is you do not fraternize with the staff. That's always the key for me. But needless to say that, you know, whatever happens outside of four walls, I can't control. <laughs> but if inside, you know, it can't it cannot be an issue. Um, I've had situations before where, you know, things have 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 grown awry a bit because of that situation. So I've had to make tough decisions, unfortunately. But um it's, 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 it's well known, especially in this industry, you know, you cannot, you know, you can't bring your house to work and uh, it's not a good thing because you're in a business with, uh, you know, with people partying and dancing. There's a lot of, you know, flirtation going on. So, yeah, it's not conducive for, <laughs> for that to happen at all. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, for us, I think we're always talking about uh, 
you know, you lay those uh, rules down up front and Eddie talks about it being the number one rule and it might be one of the number one rules that's broken. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like once it happens, cause it's going to happen. Cause we're not just talking about like with fraternizing with staff. We're also talking about guests where it gets like kind of uncomfortable as well. Uh, but we're such a small city and, you know, for our establishments, it's bound to happen where your guests might be your interest as well. And it's about trying to keep it professional. Uh, I've seen it go other ways, though, but it's about trying to keep it professional. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I've a few times. You're like, OK, so what happened here? <laughs> you can't. And also you ask about um, drinking on a job. That's going to happen. You know, it's it's. Honestly, you have to let them drain just so, you know, just to be comfortable with everything. Because if you have a staff that actually does not drink, then it kind of, for me, it's like a red flag. Okay, why is she drinking like everybody else? You know, what makes you so different? So, no, seriously, you have to because it's the nature of the business, you know. Because, like, even even customers, like, you know, they might offer to buy you a drink. And it's like, you know, be somewhat rude to say, no, I don't drink. <laughs> so, again, it's, it's not encouraged to get drunk but it's encouraged to say you know what to 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 have as long as you can control it you know everything you know within control of course you know just to have a drink either whether before the shift start before you shift start or after i think you still there okay okay we're here apparently okay. we had some technical difficulties but we're here <laughs> hey corona's not trying to be great i'm telling you at all, at all. <laughs> Got this good Ethernet in and it's still trying to tap you on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we'll just jump to the next question then. So tipping, it's an ongoing debate, right? And it usually results in heated discussions. Can either of you explain the importance of tipping? What is the appropriate amount or an industry standard? And is it true that wage staff hourly rates are significantly lower than minimum wage? Or is that a myth? Um, I would start, I'll, I can start off with that. Uh, well, one, let's talk about the wage. Uh, the minimum wage for wait staff when you're tipped is lower than what the minimum straight hourly rate wage is. And I mean, I think that a lot of the, a lot of us are kind of in this industry because it's exciting. You know, the day, day to day changes, right? And likely, your money changes day to day too. You know, your money, your money might change shift to shift, right? And so, you know, lunch shifts and how we feel about lunch shifts and dinner shifts and nightlife shifts, different feeling, different money all across the board, right? And so um, for us, we understand that piece, but we, we, it's like a gamble, but we know that there's a lot of value in it. And, and in actuality, we are kind of putting ourselves on the line to give you that top service so that we can then start talking about the percentages that we deserve on this service. Because it's one thing what the back of the house might do for us. It's one thing what the bar might do for us. But when I'm at your table catering to you, if you don't feel like a million bucks when you went out, like truthfully, at the end of the day, we, we talk about percentages and 18 to 20 percent is the minimum of industry standard at this point. Um, I'm looking for every time I serve a table, I'm looking for 20 to 25 percent. That's the kind of service I'm trying to give you. Um, and if we don't succeed at that, then that's us. It's kind of like we've got to be reflective for people who are educated when they go out. Uh, if they're educated when they go out in terms of knowing about tipping policies and or, you know, what what's standard, then if we're doing our job, they're going to treat us well. So that's it. That's how I look at it. Yeah. And um, I like what we should just say. Also, I think the standard is one thing. 
And um, the misconception is that there is no such thing as over tipping either. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> there is no such thing. So people always have an issue like, is this too much? No, there's no such thing as too much. You feel like, you know, you tip based on the service that you receive. And again, as, as Nina said, it's a matter of like, as the server goes to the table, their job is to give you their top, their best um, service. So there should not be a limit on how much you feel comfortable. Again, it's up, it's, it's up to you as to what you feel comfortable with. But like the standard to say 15, 18, 20, no, there's no such thing as over tipping. Never that. And um, it's always encouraged to tip. So a lot of time we, I say we, um, <laughs> I feel like, I, I guess, you know, sometimes people feel like, well, if um, something is wrong, just based on, for example, the food or what have you, but that, that that should not take from the service. It's not the server's fault. So a lot of time, the servers get a bad rep because of something that may have happened, and um, it it it's it sucks. It, it does reflect bad on them. And as as Nia said earlier, so it goes day to day. I call it. It's like the stock market. You never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> someday it might be low. Someday you like come out like laughing, like oh my god, this is the best thing ever. And then somebody's like, you know what? Yeah, this sucks. I'm out of here. I'm done. <laughs> and so you just never, you just never know. Again, it's the excitement that keeps you coming back. Mm -hmm. um, it's the it's it's the adrenaline rush, honestly. Because you may have you may come in and then like it's very slow. You have one table, then you make more money than somebody who is busy the entire night or yeah. who's been there for three or four you know hours. So again, it's it, it's the rush, but um, it's like the stock market. That's what we call it. So it's like you know you never know what you're gonna get. One bad day one good day, but at the end of the month, it, it evens out, you know, it, it, it always evens out, it catches up. Okay. okay, okay. So both of you have been in this industry for over a decade. What's your most memorable experience with a customer? Huh. Memorable, good, or memorable? <laughs> However you want to describe memorable. <laughs> you know what, I, 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 I think I'm going to stay away from the bad because, yeah, they, they might know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just drink. I'll just, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 right? Is this drink or dare, right? So uh, <laughs> I would say truth or drink, truth or drink. That's it. Um, what I'll say, I, I'll talk about when I was 19 and I was serving again on the Spirit of Boston and I got my first black card. I was like, what is this? You know, like, and, and it's one of those things where uh, I really pride myself on on service. That's, that's if you're not in the industry for that, yes, the money is good. You know what I mean? The connections that you can make in this industry are good. But if you're not in it for service and like really have that servant's kind of spirit, you're not going to really do well. And so, I mean, I prided myself on, People like like that. My counterparts might have all the tables. I've got two tables. I was like, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you what good service do. So for this particular table, it was a family who were visiting from California. Um, it was a ten top. They were, or it might have been even sixteen of them, and they were celebrating uh, your grandma's birthday. And I was like, I don't care. Like. I'm gonna wow them. And at the end of the day, you know, he gave me this black card and I was like, I'm already impressed. I don't even understand what it is. I ain't never seen, you know what I mean? I'm from, I'm from the hood, we ain't have much, right? So I'm like, this is something else. I said, that's 30% guaranteed. Okay. So, and then you always hope, again, there's that thing we're talking about, we're always rolling the dice. So it didn't matter. It didn't matter if I thought I did the best. It didn't matter if there was a whole lot of thank yous, right? It mattered that, well, you might even have it to give it. Uh, it was, it's like, once you, you got to wait for the sign part. And uh, I mean, it was a good time. It was it was just a good time overall. But it was like, I, you know, I know how much you got to make in order to have a black card. <laughs> you can't be stingy with a black card. Okay. It was you a good night. 
<laughs> okay, so it lived up to your expectation? It sure did. And I mean, that was one of my young experiences. I could talk about uh, some of my best experiences that absolutely have been here at Daryl's. Um, one of them has got to be my my old fella's corner. And that that's like on a, on a regular basis. I mean, I got some generational folks who've been here since it was Bob the chef, you know, and they didn't seen a whole lot of people come up. And so just to be able to sit with them and not say anything sometimes, but just to listen to their wisdom. Like I live for moments <laughs> like that. So uh, that's one of my good times. I, I might tell you it's about something bad, but I'm gonna let Eddie go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not saying anything bad at all. They watch this yeah. show, they're like, oh my God, that was me. Right. <laughs> but one thing I definitely, I, I remember um, for me is back, back uh, at Blue Wave, the Blue Wave days, I call them. So it was, she's, she's, she's smiling. See, every time I say Blue Wave. <laughs> Cause you know, we, yeah, just gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Many days. <laughs> so the, the, the memories of Blue Wave is, is the matter of like the people I hit this, like that I somewhat, Put together, I, I I don't know if it sounds good or bad, but more or less, it's always like, oh Eddie, like who's this person? Uh, can you know? I would like to meet this person. Like, it's almost like Blue Wave is like a, a dating scene, more or less. Like, oh, okay, I could put this person together, put that person together, until this day. So five years after Blue Wave, I met like this couple, um, and they're like, oh my god, remember us? I'm like, of course I remember you. Did it? So we talk and we talk, and he's like, and then um, him and the person I set up, they got married. And now, lo and behold, they had a son. And guess what the son's name is? Eddie. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. oh look at you with a namesake oh, out there. Yeah. So I, was like, I was like, no, you kidding. I'm like, he's like, yes, for real. Our son's name is Eddie. He was like, wow, okay. Then it's for me, it was like, man, so this was just, you know, here I am just thinking, you know, just a, a one-time thing. Oh, you know what? Yeah, he's a good guy. So you should definitely, you know, hang out with him, talk to him. So, yeah, that led into, like, a whole, you know, relationship and marriage and life together. So yeah, so they named their son their first born after me. <laughs> so I'm you gotta look out here with you. Yeah, man. <laughs> okay. Bunch of little Eddie's out here. How <laughs> <laughs> have apps? How have apps such as Uber Eats, Grubhub, Postmates, etc., affected your business? Hmm. Are you using Uber Eats? And no, stuff? actually, I have not gone on, on that platform yet because um, back prior to COVID, um, we were more or less like, you know, the eating type of place. Like we, people, we did take out, but that was less than 5% of my business. And um, just as soon as I was ready to kind of turn over into the, um, the Uber Eats like format and then the Grubhub, Corona it happened, didn't let me be great mm -hmm. at all. But yeah, prior to that, again, it was just more about 5% of my business. People were more, were more interested about coming down and, you know, enjoying the place, the space, the atmosphere again. So it was all about like the eating experience uh, for me as opposed to, um, you know, takeout. So I'm hoping, you know, when things get back to semi-normal, <laughs> then, you know, I will um, start using the, um, those platforms as well. Yeah. Apps for me, um, I like technology when it works well and when it doesn't work well, like it really makes me mad. Like, uh, <laughs> so uh, Uber Eats and Grubhub, much like Eddie, uh, takeout was probably about like 1% of yeah. our business uh, yeah. prior to COVID. Um, right now, it's, it's, it's all 19% of our business because that's all we have. Um, and 
you know, we were already using those apps and obviously for convenience, if, if I'm a user of them, then obviously other people like me want to use it for this business. So it just made sense um, mm-hmm. on the business side of it. Obviously, the mm-hmm. financials of it is uh, tough for the business, how much considering how much they take off the top um, of your earnings. Um, but it has been convenient until again, the people factor kind of mess it up. So the best thing about Uber Eats and Grubhub is that any one of us can get on our phone and within five minutes place an order. We know what's in stock, what's out of stock. Uh, we don't have to talk to anybody. It, it has all the details. It's convenient. It's fast. Now it's the people part. Uh, the people part are the drivers and for any Uber Eats and Grubhub drivers out there listening, <laughs> watching, understand. Your day is coming, right? You know, I just, <laughs> you know, we, uh, it, it's, it's challenging. Uh, learn how to use your apps, learn how to use the app, you know, know, know what it's supposed to do when you're supposed to show up. You know, that's the, that's the worst part of it. But um, we, we're making it work right now. And, it, and it's convenient when things like that can work for restaurants. It's awesome. Yeah. And the scary thing for me, I guess, just looking, th- thinking, uh, thinking ahead, is as mm-hmm. you said about the drivers, and picking up the food and God forbid, you know, something happened in transit <laughs> and now, you know, you're blamed because, hey, presentation is not going to be the same. You know what I mean? When something gets from your store over to the person's house and not just that and, you know, anything else could happen. So to the food and now you're still, you know, liable. So for me, that's always something, you know, for, that I'm thinking about as well. It's like, you know, somebody expect. You know, um, I don't know how long it takes between, you know, from your place, how long, if they have like, if it's like Domino's, they have like 30 minutes, you know, to deliver the food. So I'm just thinking like, you know, they pick up something from your place and, and you know, um, by the time they get to the, per, you know, to, to the house, it's like, whoa, this is kind of soggy now, <laughs> you know, so I'm kind of a bit leery about that. But again, as you say, so this is a platform I'm going to look further into. Listen, Eddie, let me give you some real life firsthand stories about what is happening in transit. I mean, I literally watched somebody pick up the order and then stand outside the restaurant for 25 minutes talking (laughs) to the point that I walked outside and said, hey, my food has died Mm -hmm. and I'm calling the person and letting them know that you're still out here talking. I'm going to protect my business. You know what I mean? So I had to do that. Uh, Just two weeks ago, I had someone deliver a piece of one order to somebody else knew they didn't have the second order, take the second bag for the other person and drop it off at the other person. Like they wanted to collect both of the fares, knowing oh. that they didn't have both of the orders. <laughs> that were- happened just two weeks ago. Wow. And then this last week, somebody ate the food in front of the restaurant, then threw the what? leftovers out in front of the restaurant. No. Like I'm trying to tell you, oh it ain't God. the technology. The technology's fine. Great. Yep. Uber Eats, you drivers, Grubhub, I'm coming for you, like for real. Like, <laughs> so when you call, when you call headquarters, what do they see? Like, how, how? Oh, oh. So yeah, again, it ain't the technology because guess what? I call Uber Eats and it takes 24 hours to hear from them. My problem is right now. Like your technology is not. Sometimes technology doesn't work, but and it's like right now I need it. I have an issue, yep. and it's like I get back to you when I can. I don't. That doesn't work. You know what I mean? And, and truthfully, I understand what's going on in the country. I know they're laying off people. I know call volume is high. People, you know, they went from, you know, maybe 40 percent capacity to, to 100 percent all, all in the last 60 days in terms of how many people are on these sites because of mandates. So I totally get it. But when it comes down to the personnel, Eddie, we got to we got to work together oh, because oh yeah. we're going to be delivering like, each other's stuff because I'm not doing that. <laughs> that's my biggest fear. 
That is I'm not I, it's funny because I've heard a story uh, from somebody else who told me that they ordered, I guess they, they ordered food from, from I, I'm not even sure about the restaurant, but by the time they received the food, the thing was, it was half eaten. <laughs> so See what it was half. This is real. That's savage. That's just yeah, a real savage. And, and as you said, so you call in uh, um, headquarters and like, you know, it takes time to get to, to, to get a hold of anybody. But now the customer's upset with you. You know, customers are upset with you. They're not thinking, well, it's a headquarter problem, it's a, it's a driver problem. They just thinking, oh, it's your establishment. And then now you're responsible. And then that gives you a bad mm-hmm. name. Because it doesn't take much for us to get a bad name. <laughs> you know, it doesn't yeah. take much it's at all. <laughs> very unforgiving. So has being a professional in the industry changed how and where you spend your money as it pertains to other nightlife establishments? I'm sorry, what was that? Being a professional in the industry, uh-huh. Has that changed knowing the type of service that you provide? Has that changed where you go and spend your money with other nightlife establishments? Um, well, for me, it's about where I'm, I feel comfortable. I go to where places I feel comfortable. So it's not necessarily about what I expect. But like, for example, there's certain places in the city that are like, oh, OK, on a Tuesday, I'm going to go there. Like on a Monday. If I if I'm not open, you catch me at, at, at this place, like you know, whether I'm at Wally, you know, wherever. So it's like there's certain places in the city I, I go just um, just just um, just to be me, just low key, because uh, you make you guys may not know this, Neo, you don't know this, but I'm not like in, I don't know a socialite, so to speak. I'm very low key and laid back, so I, I might you might find me at the, the, the not the weirdest place, but like the most low key place ever. So, but no, I still go um, go out certain places. It all depends where I'm comfortable at. Yeah, I like I think to the the first piece of that is I'm very selective about where I go. I I do have, you know, a standards of service, but I also am where there's so many different things that are that that are nightlife. Right. And there are so many different vibes from the, you know, from your rowdy karaoke bar, which I don't mind going to to your upscale lounge, which I don't mind going to. You know what I mean? To the to the super, super like neighborhood, you know, like, you know, quintessential bar, like don't mind going to it where it's like no frills. Right. And so I feel mm-hmm. like uh, we're chameleons in the nightlife and yep. we can adapt, you know, mm-hmm. to, to yep. any to any environment. So for us, I think we have more options because we, in fact, don't just have one standard. Like if I walk into, you know, my no frills spot with, the you know, one or two staff and you know, whatever the, whatever's on the bar, I have an expectation. I don't expect, you know, like I'm not going to, it's going to be realistic to that place, right? Yep. If I go to a high-end lounge and, and the cover's high and the bottles are high and all the okay, I got expectations, you know what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. that we're able to, I think the way we actually approach the situation is so unique. They kind of know like our background, like, cause, yeah. cause we're asking certain questions. We're, we're figuring out certain things and it's like, oh, okay, well, I can't really pull anything over on you. you, can, <laughs> you know. All right. So, so our experiences <laughs> tend to be different. And yeah. I mean, we just, I think we chameleon anywhere. That's true. And again, it's, it's kind of good though to go to those places. Again, it's kind of like, in a way, it's kind of refreshing. You either get a few ideas of your own just based on what you see. Oh, wow. Okay. This, okay. I could do, you know, certain things. And it kind of like, it's also good to be waited on, to be honest with you, just to say, <laughs> you know, it's good to go out of town. And even like, I could be on a Monday, it's like, as you just said, like, if you, if like, random Monday, so Phoenix, you know, landed, like, there's reggae music, like, I'm like, wow. 
hey, what are you doing here? Well, I'm just, you know, observing. Like, okay, so there's certain uh, um, demographics of people that I'm like, okay, how can I reach them? You know, this is what they like. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, of course, there's always something like that kind of, you know, strike up an idea when you go certain places. Okay. How hard is it to stay relevant within the industry? You talked about going to other places and seeing what they do to attract certain audience. So how hard is it to stay relevant? Hmm. Well, you always have to almost reinvent yourself, you know, and that's what it is. And that's, again, as you go out, that's how you stay relevant because you are noticing, you know, you have to go to see, you have to understand the, the, the changes, the trends that's, that are happening in the industry. So you cannot just be stuck in your old ways. You need people around you that will tell you things like, you know what? Yeah. You know, Electric Blue was like 2009. <laughs> you got to, you know, up the ante right now. So it, that's part of it. So to stay relevant, you definitely have to, you know, be on the scene, which is what I, you know, I, I say I like to go on the scene. There's certain days of the week that, you know, I'll say, you know what, I need to go somewhere. Just kind of see what's happening. Example, the new places that are, you know, popping up left and right. Oh, yeah, you definitely have to go there because you need to see what's, what's the catch with this thing, you know? All the new, you know, um, the new toys popping up in town left and right. You know, in about, you know, a month or so, it's going to be the place to be. <laughs> so you need to see, like, all right, so this is what's going on. But, to, yeah, you, to be relevant, you definitely have have to be on the scene and always have to reinvent yourself. Yeah, I think, um, is, is, is it hard to be relevant? It can be. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like you either are on the side of trendy or you're the side of classic, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. so classic establishments may not have to do as much in terms of uh, evolving uh, who they are. If you have this one thing that you're just like always like interested yeah. in. Mm -hmm. um, if you are trendy, I think it's harder. I think it's harder for you to be trendy, right? And mm -hmm. and I don't think that uh, for like our establishment, I don't think that we're trendy. I think that we're a little bit more classic in terms of what our offering is. But I think that we're also inspired, right? So yep. we're we're it's like oh, this is this is what I come to know. But oh, you just threw a little something in there, and that's <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. And and I think that that's <laughs> that's what kind of keeps us you know in par with the the ones that are just the trendy only. Yeah. So. Yep. That's true. That's true. Okay. So reality shows can have one thinking that this industry is very glamorous, very lucrative. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> How much work goes into owning establishment? Like break it down for us. What does a day in the life look like? I'll let you go, but do you have more than 24 hours? That's how long it takes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, we can keep volleying back and forth. Eddie's uh, been doing it longer than me. But yeah. again, even if when I was just a server, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was expected that you knew how to work a 12 to 16 hour shift, right? That's mm -hmm. just at the start of it, exactly. right? That's, that's, standard. That, that's standard. And if you can do that, well, you should just go on ahead, right? So I mean, I remember working 90 to 96 hours yeah. a week when I was just serving, you know. Um, and then now, when you're a uh, owner and an operator, uh, like both Eddie and myself, yep. that's 16 hours plus, plus. seven, <laughs> plus. plus seven, <laughs> right? Sure. And I don't know if we're doing the math, if anyone's taking account, yeah. but 16 plus seven, I think it's 23. I, I'm not, I may not exactly. be good with math. 
it's only one hour left, right? <laughs> only seven days in a week. And every every year on my birthday, I pray for an extra day. You know, I just want eight days in a week to be able to do this. But no, I mean, uh, it takes time. Um, the, the day in the life, it, it starts with doing your vendor stuff. You got to understand that uh, between nine and five, everybody that you buy from or work with, those are their hours, you know what I mean? So for mm -hmm. us, we might be five to, to 2 a.m., but we've got to start operating on their hours. I wake up every day at six o'clock or before six o'clock. And then typically, you know, on a good night, I'm able to get in a bed by 12 or, you know, on a regular night. It's wow, I'm three. like 12 o'clock. I said after three, you know what I mean? So um, so again, think about it. You know, you're paying the bills, you're you're handling the correspondence, emails, phone calls, mail. Um, you know, you might be your own bookkeeper, you might be your own accountant. It really depends on, you know, how your structure is. Uh, but we're doing all of that in the daytime and then we get, you know, and so whether it's scheduling and then we get uh, you know, ready to get on the floor. Yeah. And Eddie, what does it look like when you're trying to get on the floor? What you gotta do to prepare? Oh my God. So going back, let me just start back. As you said, you know, I've, I always tell people that, um, as you said, eight days in a week, I don't think is enough. People don't understand <laughs> that, you know, 90, 90, you average about 90 hours a week. That's, that's just normal. That is just mm. normal. Like you don't get in this business and thinking you're just going to be like, Oh my God, I'm just going to work two or three hours. Nah, man, it doesn't happen that way. And the hour that you said that Nina said you have when you think it's for yourself, no, your mind is still racing because you're thinking about the next day or the next thing, you know, and then you're waking up. And as you said for you about the vendor, so for me, you, yes, you have to call vendors. And, and then at times, I, not at times, I do the shopping as well for the restaurant. So now mm -hmm. I have to hit the road early because you need to get to the restaurant depots of the world. You need to get to the meat market. You need to get to this before, you know, well, not before everybody, but everybody gets there at the same time. So it doesn't even matter. So now you're there in the morning and, um, you know, you're trying to you're trying to buy stuff, you, you're doing that. And then you're going back, as you said, the scheduling. And God forbid that this is around the time you get the, the email or the text message. Yeah, I don't think I can come to work today. <laughs> I don't know. So it's always like at the very, like the very last, I was like, that's the last thing I'm thinking about right now, you know, because you have so much to do. And, and now you're thinking, you know, you still have emails to reply to, phone uh, voicemails and, you know, um scheduling so now you get there and preparing so it takes people think that if you open at five you get there at five no you open at five you get there possibly two two thirty you know to get ready for five o'clock um so that's like three hours prior so and and even when you close you close at 12 you're not going home at 12. <laughs> you're there you're there for another two hours so yeah so Going to bed at, at, at 2, like, if anyone sees me in bed before 2 a.m., it's like I'm either not feeling well <laughs> or something happened or, you know, but it's usually, you know, again, it's, it's long, long days. You don't get in this business if you cannot roll up your sleeves and, and, and get down and dirty. And especially for us, like, you know, as entrepreneurs and, and, and operators as well, it's, it's not um, do as I say. It's also do as I do because they like, people like to see you. In the trenches with them as well again i've been i've been if i have staff working on valentine's day i'm working with them on valentine's day <laughs> if i have them on christmas i'm there on christmas because they respect you more for that so um no it, it is it is an on um, it's a never-ending thing so it's it's it takes a special person honestly to be an entrepreneur to own a restaurant to be an um operator manager whatever you want to call it <laughs> that you call it in, in the restaurant business
You definitely, it sounds like you definitely have to have a pattern for it and a drive or he will burn out relatively quickly. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. So given the current state of affairs, how did the stay-at-home order impact your business? Hmm. Well, I'm completely shut down, so, <laughs> so I guess yeah. that's, just, that's pretty much it. So um, last day of operation was March 14th, and I, was it 14th? I believe that was Saturday, and I think that the governor made the announcement either Sunday night or Monday. So, yeah, so pretty much it's been, I've gone to from 100% to zero. It's like, you know, I Drake said you go from zero to 100. <laughs> you know, I went from 100 to zero. <laughs> so I'm like reverse. So yeah, it just completely shut everything down. So now it's just a matter of trying to figure things out. How, how do we bounce back? Because we feel like, you know what, this is um, something that's needed in the city. I, I have to come back more or less it's, it's a much needed business it's a much needed establishment not just myself but like any and all small black owned business in the city you know we are definitely needed we serve a purpose um in the city to to a certain degree so we all have the fight right now is for us to find a way to to, to come back to to stay alive and not just come back and open up because opening up is one thing the next six months is going to be the, the telltale for, of, of everything, like, you know, surviving until 2021. That's, that's for me, I think that's, the, that's what I see in terms of, like, uh, um, you know, making it or trying to, trying to survive. Yeah, since March 15th, uh, we shut down that day. Uh, they announced the no on-site uh, consumption the next day on the 16th. And we made the decision that week very quickly to, to decide to try to do the takeout model. Uh, thinking that it was only going to be three weeks at first. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that a moment of silence for the oh, yeah, three know, weeks right, that right. we thought this was going to be. Okay, so um, <laughs> at that point, so I mean, what what did it do to our business? Much like Eddie, uh, again, one percent is what we were doing in takeout. Everything was fairly passive. Our main source was you being here and experience what we had to offer. Uh, so we lost, yeah, like ninety eight percent of our revenue source because catering and large events had you know died as well so we lost our catering opportunities um we, we moved to this takeout model the first two weeks i thought you know i wasn't i thought it was a most it was horrible it was horrible you know what i mean it was um it was just it felt like just throwing uh you know what money after bad like after good it was just it just was a bad situation um, and we're making it work where our meals weren't necessarily set up for takeout. Uh, the, the kind of dishes that we offer, uh, I, I didn't want to experience. I, I didn't like putting it in a container in the first place, some of our dishes, let alone then trying to see how it was going to hold up, making it to somebody's house about an hour later. You know what I mean? So we had to change our menu immediately, try to figure out where we could bolster some things. And then trying to change the menu because of that, I mean, that, that probably eliminated 75% of the menu that people knew. So we had to create a new menu on the spot, um, think about what we could do. And I mean, the staffing piece was, was one of the hardest things. You know, people initially, uh, you know, not coming to work or we were trying to keep people employed and, and that, that didn't work. Um, and then folks were scared to come to work. So, you know, that's the next thing that we had to deal with. So for me, I've actually been cooking, <laughs> you know, a couple yeah, yeah. of weeks here. Um, and you just got to kind of do what you got to do. So 
what did COVID do? It shut us down for sure. And um, I know that Eddie and I, especially with our group, the Black Hospitality Coalition, we've all been strategizing. We're at different phases of you know this 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 pandemic that we're in, but we are all you know have kind of like the same uh, the mandates against us. So. We have been working together to figure it out. And I think we're just getting more and more creative every day. (laughs) So you kind of segued into the next question with in 2019, local restaurateurs of color created buzz with the annual black restaurant challenge. And in 2020, fellow owners, including the two of you together and launched the Boston black hospitality coalition. What sparked the need to launch the coalition? No business. No, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) no, um, you know what? I think it's it's something that I I say that uh, our big brother, Frank, lets us know uh, from Wally's Jazz Club and Cafe. He he, he actually, you know, I mean, he's he is a true veteran in the industry here. You know what I mean? Like and that's somebody that I look up to. Um, He's got a lot of wisdom and he said it. He said this needed to happen. This been needed to happen. You know what I mean? And so. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, well, now is the time. And why is now the time? Yeah, you know, we were in a situation that we were facing something unknown to us, but we were doing it at the same time. And why not do it all together so that we can utilize each other to have somebody to lean on? Both Eddie and I, as well as the other members, are solo entrepreneurs, you know? So we're in this at the top kind of by ourselves. And it's really great to have another face, again, that looks like us, that that is really <laughs> understanding what we're going through. I mean, and, and we're all customers of each other as well, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. we're, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about making sure that Eddie's business does not go anywhere because I like to go to Saber every now and again, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, okay, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to hang out, do something different. So, you know what I mean? So, I mean, that, that, that's truly what it is. And I mean, we care about each other. We care about our community. We care about these spaces for you know our black and brown brothers and sisters right so that is really a part of the need to for it to have happened and then we're talking about sustainability after this point so this is a crisis that finally said all right let's stop you know and and let's get this together but what we see this as in the future, this is going to be that alliance that is always going to make businesses stronger, particularly our bars and restaurants, and then hopefully welcome more in so that we're not sitting here as the only eight African-American owners of bars and restaurants in the city of Boston, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. And, um, and again, again, as you said, Frank, again, he is the OG of the group. So that's my guy. OG. That, is my guy. <laughs> <laughs> that is my guy. So, um, yeah, it's definitely much needed because if you look at the landscape and um, most of the restaurants in the city, they are owned by different uh, management groups. So you have groups of, uh, uh, that owns multiple restaurants and they are very strong. And again, we, as Nina said, we are individuals <laughs> in this industry. So we don't have anybody to say, you know what, who can I talk to about this situation? Who can I go to about this? Because they do. And honestly, so it's like, for example, if something happened to, um, I, I'm drawing a blanket on any uh, on any hosp- uh, hospitality group that are out there, they can call, you know, their brothers like, hey, man, listen, uh, I don't know what's going on. How do you deal with this? Oh, I need some of this. You know, I need some advice. So they have somewhere to go, but we don't have that. And even to, 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 to the thing where it's like business related, like, okay, I need access to cash. They'll tell you. They'll have somebody in their corner. <laughs> They're like, you know what? 
go to John's house, knock on the door three times. <laughs> you know what? Go on Monday. Don't Wait. go on Tuesday because Tuesday's his day off. They'll tell you certain things that, you know what, we're not privy to. And it's the truth. Like, and and they have that group where, where you you know, the, you have strength in numbers. And that's that's what we feel right now. You know, we have strength in numbers by forming this group that, yes, it will go far. This is something that's definitely much needed for the landscape of, of Boston um, Black businesses. Yeah. Okay. So as Black-owned businesses, it's important to push an agenda as you're doing but you're still in a cutthroat industry. How do you balance partnership competition? Hmm. I, I just gonna say that, you know, every day, I, the, the mantra used to be, I think that a restaurant opens up every single day, right? So in general, we've got another restaurant or bar to compete with every single day. Mm -hmm. um, I think that what keeps us unique and probably not feeling like a threat to each other, we only got eight places. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, right. and, we are, right. and we're not so, all the same. We do different things. And that's the thing. There are eight of us. But if you look at, at the breakdown of, of exactly what we do, it's almost like eight different things. Absolutely. We, we, we do separate things. So we're not necessarily in competition with each other. We are helping each other. That's number one. Number two, it's like, if you look at Wally, definitely different than Dell's. If you look at Dell, different from Saber. Like, our demographic is much different. You know, like, I serve the, the uh, younger um, groups. You you have much, you know, of the older. So it's like, and Dell has, um, no, I'm sorry, not Dell. Wally has everybody. <laughs> you know, he's all over the place. So, no, it's eight of us, but we definitely not in a competition. We're more or less like have, you know, different um, business model. Like, so we're definitely not a competition. Like, and we're not competing with each other. I, I honestly, it's uh, because we have such unique businesses. Um, we feel like people see us for what we actually are. So because we're not trying to be like each other, we're not trying to be like somebody else who's you know who's in Dorchester, somebody else is in the South End or, 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 or the North End. So we're just pretty much being true to ourselves. Yeah, okay. I think we're super authentic in that yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we've reached the level. If any of the viewers have any questions in the comment, I'm going to ask one last question. And if we don't receive any from the viewers, we are going to wrap up this show. So the next question, if someone watching, is interested in being an establishment, what advice would you give? If, I'm sorry, going on. If, so, yeah. if someone's watching is interested in owning an establishment, what advice would you give? Get another job. <laughs> <laughs> no, the only advice I'll say is that to be true to yourself and be ready. It's not, again, it, 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 it's not that we make it look easy because you know we work so hard and it to, to the outside world, it may look like it's easy, but it is work. It is work. You have to be ready to work. And it's not something you just go in just to say, oh, you know what? I'm, you know, just to be a flyby. Uh, I just want to own a restaurant. And um, again, you could have the money where, you know what? You could just be uh, a, a, an investor of, of, of sort. But to say you want to get hands down and dirty, it takes it takes time and it's a lot of work. So only thing I'll tell anybody is like, be sure that's what you want, you know, and be ready because it's work. It is work. <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely work. Um, it's definitely a lifestyle. Like it's not, this is not, you know, people go to go to work nine to fives. And even if you don't work a nine to five, sometimes it's people have jobs, right? And things that they do. Mm -hmm. This is a lifestyle, especially yeah. if you are going to be a place that is open for dinner and nightlife. Mm -hmm. Like 
that means your partner has to be with that. That means your friends and families have to understand that as oh, yeah. well. You know what I mean? Like, and and that and you have to make sure that the people around you who are supporting you are okay with it as well, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> and then it's like we're talking about the time that it takes, but like let's talk about uh, some of the the hardcore pieces of you know the finances. This is a very expensive industry, um, especially here in the city of Boston. And so really having your finances straight are, are and it's not like that you got to have a whole lot. But I'm saying like having things straight, having your credit score right, having having a, having some numbers together, understanding, understanding the business. You know, I think it I, I applaud the people who are able to get into it, have never have had, having never worked in a restaurant or a bar. But that's what I expect to see out of someone who wants to yeah. be an owner is that you have actually worked at a restaurant and bar. You are really into service because um, then you're really going to do well because because you, you get that knack right there mm-hmm. um, and then have patience. And the thing is, I say that because I've learned that there's not enough patience. I thought I was really patient. And then I'm like, nah, I've got to grab a little bit more of it. You know what I mean? Because it's patient. It's patient with yourself sometimes, um, especially when you're pushing yourself. It's, it's, it's being able to say, listen, you can't do, you know, A through Z today. Sometimes you might have to stop in the middle and realize that, you know, tomorrow you'll be able to do a little bit more. Um, patient with your staff and, and trying to, you know, some people are learning different stages. Yep. And then absolutely with the customer, it's got to be patient sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as you said, it's a matter of like, if you're going into business, just like everything else, do not pretend that you know everything because you yeah. don't have good people around you because you do not know everything. And as you said, the family piece is, is big, is major because they have to understand the grind and the hours that you spend. I mean, if you have a family, you know, if you are, you know, you have uh, um, kids, you have a significant other, you have a spouse. They truly have to understand because, man, it's not for the parent home because plans will be changed so often. Absolutely. You know, schedule will be changed so often because it's like, oh, we're supposed to, you're supposed to be home at 8 o'clock. But guess what? It's 12 o'clock right now. It's, you know, it's 1 a.m. So they truly have to understand because it's not, it's not something where it's not a 9 to 5. You know, there's no such thing as clocking out because mm-hmm. you always on. You are always on. Even when you're sleeping in bed, you're on. Trust me. I've had many nights I woke up and like, oh, shoot. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did I lock the door? Did the fridge open? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? You're like, geez. And then you start thinking, okay. And I've actually gotten dressed and gone back down and checked. So, wow. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's like that. It's like that. So that person, more or less, you need to have a strong group of people around you, staff, and family around you because it's it's a grind and it's not short term. It's not short term at, at all. No. All right. I hope I didn't you know dissuade anybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> if I did, I'm sorry. You told me to, yeah, you told me to be truthful. Yes, yeah, no. be honest. People need to know what they're stepping into. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I, I didn't Absolutely. get anyone. No. Well, thank you for joining me on this episode of Nightcap. Thank you to the audience for tuning in. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe so that you'll be notified of future episodes. And until next time, stay blessed. Stay blessed. Thank you. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you. Salute. (laughs) Nia, nice shirt. (laughs) I like that. I like that. (laughs)